0: You can have a seat. Good morning, Southwood family. Great to be with you this morning. My name is Pat Coyle. I know many of you from years ago, and uh, many of you I have not had the privilege of meeting. I serve as our human resources pastor for all of our staff across uh, all the campuses, and that's a great pleasure. We have a great staff team uh, serving you and serving us. And my family and I worship over at the Anderson campus, and i uh, been here about more than twenty years, um, uh, and actually, I grew up at Grace years before that. So, quite a story with this church. And uh, I don't get to preach very often. Um, it's uh, it's about every year to eighteen months or so. I hope that's not because of ability, um, <laughs> but uh, because my job is so so tied into other things. But uh, it really is a, a great joy when I get to do that, and uh, especially this uh, this morning. Um, if you saw the schedule for the psalms that came out at the beginning of the summer, and you looked at this particular date, it says uh, not a psalm, but it says TBA. Uh, and there's, there's a reason for that. Um, uh, my family and I had a pretty rough uh, winter. Uh, lost a dear friend uh, in, the, uh, in December, and then my dad in January. And um, so when uh, spring rolled around and we were setting up the psalm series, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and uh, <clears throat> I asked if I could wait, and the staff very graciously said yes, and they put TBA on the on the schedule, and uh, I headed into sabbatical at the beginning of the uh, beginning of the summer, and enjoyed that and some vacation time as well, and came back um, to uh, to Psalm eighty six, and I was really grateful uh, for that uh, that break between needing to decide and actually coming back from sabbatical, just because the refreshment that the, the Lord did on my heart in that sabbatical. And that's because uh, not only was this winter difficult, but uh, i had a much longer difficult season uh, in my life and in my family's life, going back about five or six years in a five- or six-year period, uh, in addition to the two that we lost this winter. There have been uh, five losses of uh, dear friends and family, uh, three of those very tragically and very unexpected. And in the early part of that season, the Lord began doing a stirring in my own heart uh, through some physical difficulties and other things that really began to just tear at my confidence and undermine uh, my just sense of, of confidence in the Lord and confidence in myself, uh, even found myself in clinical depression. So uh, really a three, four or five year period of, of walking through um, some great difficulty and uh, coming out of sabbatical and into this message and getting to select this message at the end of that time. Uh, psalm 86 just became a very important and a very precious uh, uh, psalm to me, and uh, I'm excited to, uh, to share that with you this morning. That's a little bit of the background of this, and uh, you know, there's no secret now that the theme is, has to do with, is God listening? Um, is, is He really there? Is He really paying attention? And we'll see that <clears throat> as the psalm unfolds. But um, I, I started just to kind of get our wheels turning and our minds focused, and uh, I started thinking about this idea of God listening, and, and you know what? What do people? What do people think when they talk about God? God listening. So I just went to our friend Google and put in "God listening" and kind of saw what came up. And so. Uh, a lot of, uh, as you would expect, a lot of religious, uh, biblical, uh, uh, faith-filled themes. I don't necessarily endorse the people here that put these out there, but I would like at trust God, bro. That just sounds really cool. Um, but know this above all else, God hears and listens to every one of your prayers. When you need, God knows. When you ask, God listens. When you believe, God works so very, very faith-filled affirmations that God does listen. And then on the on the unreligious, on the secular side of things, uh, there's uh, the theologian. My slide going here. The theologian Woody Allen, the great, uh, the great Woody Allen. uh, If only God would give me some clear sign, like making a large deposit. In my name at a Swiss bank. The idea of God's listening, you know, he's going to fill my candy jar, right? He's going to do good things for me. So uh, that's kind of two perspectives the world and, and the more faith-filled perspective. And then if you go to the world of, uh, of Christian advertising, uh, this is familiar to most of us here in South Texas. God Listens, right? That's our friends down in Houston at KSBJ. When they came out with that ad campaign, uh, it kind of hooked me because I thought, man, that's arrogant. You know, God listens to that radio station? Wow, how do, how do they know that? But of course, it, you know, no, just an affirmation that God listens, and there's a great uh, ministry of prayer that has come out of that and a real encouragement to God's people that he is, uh, he is listening. But apparently several Christian radio stations did this all over the country, and a little bit of war erupted with a different kind of um, listener to music, God listens to metal. Apparently metal, heavy metal listeners needed some kind of affirmation of their taste, needed to bring God into the picture. Uh, so apparently there's quite a, quite a battle going on on billboards and t-shirts, as you see. So uh, uh, again, kind of the, the faith perspective and the, the world's perspective. Uh, but I think when most of us think about the idea of God listening, perhaps especially in times of difficulty, there's this idea of, God, are you listening? And... Um, the, 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 what do you call the hotline there, the hotline phone with the cord going up into the clouds and wondering if the Lord uh, is hearing at all. Um, so what do we experience, each of us, as we sit and listen today? What's going on in our hearts as we think about that? Um, do you believe and experience that God indeed is listening, that He indeed cares? And uh, is that just in your head or is that also in your heart? Well, Psalm 86 takes us there, as I said. And just a quick overview, uh, uh, the authorship is attributed to David, although Psalm 86 is a compilation. If you look at earlier psalms, you see pieces of those psalms uh, into this psalm. So we don't know if David assembled it or if David actually wrote this separately, uh, but it's, uh, it's attributed to David, and we're going to take it on faith that it is indeed a psalm of David. I say a classic structure there. Uh, Hebrew poetry is uh, not so much in terms of uh, beat and rhyme, but in terms of structure, and the structure kind of tells you something about the psalm. And this particular psalm is in five segments, and the middle segment is the most important. You might consider that normally that the last one would be sort of the climax, but um, in in this particular psalm, the middle it's a fairly common structure, the middle passage. And we're going to look at what that passage is and why uh, it's so important. And then it's also a, a pretty general topic, although Uh, the psalm affirms at the end what exactly David's troubles are. It doesn't begin with that. And I think that's really important for us because kind of like Paul and his thorn in the flesh, and he doesn't identify what the thorn in the flesh is, and we can all more readily identify with what he says about it, uh, this psalm goes to what the actual problem is at the end. So you can more readily identify with it as well. There's a problem with enemies, and we'll see that. But if we heard that right at the front, you know, we might not be as, as inclined to go and explore and let it speak uh, to our hearts. And uh, it's, a, it's a general, very individual psalm. It's not a corporate worship psalm, but a very, an individual lament. Um, in the end, I think for me, as I said, that, that, uh, that lack of specificity increases Uh, the breadth of our ability uh, to apply it, uh, to apply it to our own lives and and take it deeply there. Uh, The commentator F.B. Meyer said of this psalm in his conclusion about it, he said, this is kind of interesting sentence structure, we don't talk this way anymore, but well it is, or it is well, well it is when we come to the end of our strength and begin to appreciate God's. And that is really a, a nutshell synopsis of what the psalm has to say. And in this psalm, David is at the end of his strength and he's feeling desperately needy to know that God is listening. So let's go there, if you haven't opened it already, to open your Bibles already to Psalm 86. uh, We're gonna begin reading in verse one. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Preserve my soul, for I'm a godly man. O you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. David, uh, uh, as we see here, a a cry from deep need. Clearly he's in a place of deep need and he's crying out to God. And he he bases the pleas and the requests and the things that we're about to hear. uh, And he presumes God's help in these things on the basis basis of three things. And the first of those things uh, is his God. Uh, Loving kindness, the loving kindness of God is a key theme uh, in the psalm. And it, it, it ties back to a time in Israel's history that the very wording here that appears three different times in this psalm uh, refers back to a time in Israel's history, uh, back to Exodus 34, where the, uh, the new stone tablets are being consecrated and the Mosaic covenant is being renewed. And just as, as God commanded the people to leave Sinai and to go to the land which he swore, uh, we see these words, the Lord passed before him. And proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then it goes on to this charge to his people. So this is a, 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 a self-proclamation of God. You see, these are God's words being spoken, a, self, a self-proclamation of trustworthiness. And as I said, we see it in verse 5 here, verse 13, verse 15 and, and in the center of it, here on the slide, it's steadfast love. You might have loving kindness in your translation. You have to go back to the Hebrew term uh, behind that word that we see in English is loving kindness, and it's hesed. And that's a very powerful and, and beautiful word. It's a, it's a covenant word of God's on his behalf to us and I went looking around for definitions, and I kind of put several together because it's such a complex and beautiful word. Loyal, faithful love, it's translated loving kindness and mercy, based fully on God's devotion to His own word, His covenant to His people. So it's, 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 a, it's, it's on the basis of God's own word, His own uh, choice, His own devotion uh, to us. And it aligns with our, with our New Testament concept of grace, and uh, uh, David even refers to grace uh, in verse 3 in this passage that we just read. So it's on the basis of, of a national confession of God's faithfulness, of his, his steadfast covenant love, I will not give up on my people kind of a love that David presumes to ask for and, and to expect the presence and the attention and the provision and the protection that he's going to ask for in this psalm. And, and notice again, it was God's proclamation of those things about himself. The second thing that David presumes on in the, in the passage is his godliness. Now, uh, when I read that a minute ago, uh, I wonder if any of you kind of tripped up on that a little bit. I think when we hear the term godly, especially if it's coming out of the lips of a, a biblical superhero uh, like, uh, like King David, we think that godly is, you know, biblically perfect, heroic uh, and, and probably doing that again on the basis of who this is. Uh, there's a problem with that, though. If, uh, if God preserves only the godly, and if we define godly according to that ideal of the biblical uh, superhero, then it's easy to go, well, that, that can't apply to me. I can't be godly enough to cry out to God in these ways. But I want to I explore that a little bit, because thankfully we know David's whole story. And we know that although he has this impression in our minds of, you know, the kid who slew Goliath, he also had some, some great struggles with sin and, and, and difficulty in his own life. We know him warts and all, and we know that uh, David presumed often in the Psalms on God's grace and not his own performance, even in verse 3 as we just saw. So I think, you know, a better understanding from the life of David and from our understanding of Scripture of, of that phrase in verse 2 is, Preserve my soul, o Lord, for I'm yours. And that can be true of us today, especially if we are in Christ. And I want to talk about that for just a second in case I don't know who all is here. I don't know where you're coming from. But God's Word uh, affirms, and we believe and teach that uh, God created us for a relationship with Him, a kind of relationship that you see played out in this psalm, where we can know Him and trust Him and cry out to Him and enjoy Him. Uh, But there's a problem because we are sinful, and God is not. We are imperfect, and God is perfect, and the imperfect cannot have fellowship with the perfect. And so there's a, a break in our ability by our own sin to be able to enjoy that relationship with God that we were created for. So God sent His Son, Jesus. That's why Jesus came to this earth to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again, defeating death and hell, so that we can put our trust in Him And what he did on the cross on our behalf and have the forgiveness of our sins because of what Christ did and have the restoration of that relationship and receive God's Holy Spirit and receive the identity of Christ and all the wonderful blessings that are ours in Christ. And if that's not something that's familiar to to you today, that's the most important thing that could come for you out of the sermon is just to turn and place your trust in Christ first and foremost. And we're gonna turn to that again at the end as we celebrate communion. But for those of us who are in Christ uh, we, can, we can know uh, that, that we have God's favor, His care for us, His love for us, His provision for us, uh, His assistance for us in trial. And those things are not based on our performance. They're based on His character and His nature of that loyal, faithful love now applied to us as His people in Christ. And just as David presumed upon that, we can presume upon that as well because of God's lavish provision to us and his loyal love to us as his children. And so out of that, the third thing that David relies upon is his trust, uh, his own trust in, in, in this God, uh, living out that trust in a life that's pleasing to God. Can we, as we read these words, as we engage with these words, honestly say with David, I'm your servant who trusts in you? And that's, that's where the Lord is taking us, I think, and that doesn't say that, that we're completely free from all momentary doubts in terms of our trust in the Lord. But doubts or not, I will trust you, Lord. I will put my trust in you. So David, out of his position under God's gracious choice and founded on his choice to trust, he's also writing from a desire to be living out uh, that trust, acting on that trust in a relationship Of God dependent choices to live right in the midst of his circumstances. And we see it later on, we'll see later on in verses 11 and 12 I will walk in your truth, I will glorify your name, that desire to live a life that uh, that blesses God and blesses others. So for us in Christ, in trusting God like David, godly and trusting, and from a place of willingness to live out that trust, we can apply these words that we're about to look at. Uh, in our own circumstances. And on these same three bases, we can, like David, turn to God and cry out and ask. And that's what we see in this uh, at the beginning of his please, Be gracious to me. Make my soul glad. Ask him. Ask him for these things. Why? Because I'm crying out to you, Lord. I'm lifting up my soul. I'm trusting you. Why? Because you are good and you're ready to forgive and you're abundant in loving kindness. Those are the words of the psalm. That we just read. Who is he abundant in loving kindness toward all who call on him, those who trust and lean uh, on him, rely upon him? So w- wherever you're coming. Uh, from today in your own circumstances, whether circumstances of difficulty or circumstances of, of, of good times. Keep in mind that we can lose our focus in either of those circumstances. In, in times of good, we can put our eyes on the good things instead of the giver of the good things. And in times of difficulty, we can put our eyes on the trouble instead of the, the rescuer, the faithful lover of our souls in the midst Uh, of our, of our trial in the midst of our struggle. And either way, uh, there's, there's a need for a refocus because even if you're in the good times, the troubled times will come. (laughs) I guarantee you they will come. And so to keep our focus uh, shifted onto the one that we should have our focus upon is, is key here. And David does that for us in the psalm. We're going to look at the next two sections, uh, six and seven, and then eight through 10. Let's read those together beginning in verse six. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. There's no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. So in the first part of that section that we just Uh, Read, we see a God who answers. God listens, but are we trusting Him? That's the key question that we've identified. So David's plea continues. Please, God, pay attention. There's an expectant position on David's part, uh, and that expectant position that he takes is is a worthy goal for us. Give ear, O Lord. Give heed. Pay attention. Please don't just listen to me, God. Please pay attention to me. I want to know that I have your attention. And then there's a vow in there. In the day of trouble, I will call upon you. I won't call upon other things, God. I'll call upon you in the day of trouble. And note that the day of trouble might not just be a day. This is poetic language here, right? It can very well be uh, days of trouble. Got a little ahead there. Um, If there's no immediate answer to our plea. If day turns into days, it doesn't mean that God's checked out on us. It means that He really truly wants more for us uh, through the trial. And that's a really difficult thing to understand and to grasp hold of, especially when you're in the midst of the trial. So I wanted to think a moment about people in uh, a common Christian culture, people we know of from maybe books we've read, stories we've heard who have walked through days of trouble, days on end of trouble, and what are some of the things that they have to say about it? The first person I thought of was uh, Corey Tinboom. I don't know if you know Corey's story, uh, but she was uh, in a Nazi concentration camp as a young woman uh, for years. Had no idea for the years that she was in there if her time was going to end in rescue or if it was going to end in death. Had no idea how long it was going to go on. So for endless days, she lost her sister in the, in the con- concentration camp. Her parents were taken away to a different place, and they also died in the Holocaust. And here's, here's the words of Corey Tinboom: Boom. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. The, the days of trouble tend to take away the other things that we depend upon and bring us back to the Christ that we have, the one and only, and we know him all the better and all, all the more richly uh, through that experience. The other person I thought of was Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny was in a swimming accident as a teenage girl and uh, was paralyzed, and she spent uh, uh, she has spent decades uh, traveling the country in, in a wheelchair, in her, in her disability, uh, proclaiming the goodness and the glory and the grace, the preciousness of her relationship with Jesus Christ. Days and days and days of trouble that we can't imagine. And, and these are some thoughts from her. God's more concerned with conforming me to the likeness of his son than leaving me in my comfort zones. God's more interested in inward qualities than outward circumstances. Things like refining my faith, humbling my heart, cleaning up my thought life, and strengthening my character. God wants more for us. He wants to work within us, and he can do that through the trials. And she says, God doesn't just give us grace. He gives us Jesus, the Lord of grace. He gives us himself So he wants more for us in our trials. He wants us to know him more personally and more richly and to know uh, his son, Jesus Christ. And the heart of faith, as with David, says, I will trust in you for you will answer me. David's affirmation here, you will answer me. I know that you're listening. We have to be ready when that answer uh, doesn't come in the form that we expect. Uh, years ago, when I first came on staff at Grace, I was involved in our uh, ministries with our international students uh, in a leadership position over or alongside the couple who led um, our uh, uh, Mandarin language ministry that became the Grace Bible Mandarin church and uh, in that in that early season of, of ministry with them, a call came uh, one weekend on behalf of family a uh, grad student family. The husband and wife were both grad students, uh, a young son, and they um, were uh, in the process of heading toward her first day at her new job at Dell in Austin, a time of great joy for their family traveling back and forth on highway twenty one um, She was involved in an accident and, and they lost their uh, the husband lost his wife the little boy lost his mother, and we were called upon didn 't quite know why to Come alongside the family and and uh, and to do the funeral, and I didn't know the family. I didn't know much about them. I didn't know about their uh, faith background because of the culture um, that they were from. But they had called upon us, and it was like, Lord, okay, you know, <laughs> what uh, what what are you going to do through this? And I, I really, not knowing the audience, not knowing how how do you how do you speak to tragedy like that? And and I was at a place where I was. Uh, trying to prepare a message and trying to prepare what I was going to say. And I looked down, and I'd been given the little folio from the funeral home that they prepare with uh, just facts about the person's life. And there on that folio was uh, Psalm 23. Very familiar words to us who have been raised uh, in Judeo-Christianity and raised uh, in the study of the Bible, but uh, so familiar, you know, I think that they were almost unfamiliar, almost memorized, but not really uh, in my heart, and so I just meditate. Maybe, Lord, this is this is something that you would have to say is, is through Psalm twenty three. As I meditated on Psalm twenty three, I don't know about you. It's the first time I had really seen this in that psalm, in that very familiar psalm. But the idea that uh, this great shepherd, this great provider, uh, doesn't promise just good times. I mean, there's the valley of the shadow of death and the presence of my enemies. There's great difficulty in the psalmist's experience. Again, that's King David. Uh, but this, uh, this great shepherd is trustworthy through all of it. It doesn't guarantee good times, but it, it simply guarantees this, uh, if we'll put our trust in Him, He will show Himself trustworthy. If you go back and read through Psalm 23, that we, don't, we, don't, we may not be given all the answers, but if we'll put our trust in Him, He will show Himself trustworthy. And I'll, I'll tell the end of the story because I forgot to do that at the first service at Anderson, and people really got mad at me. But uh, joyfully, uh, the, um, hard to use that word in that context, but uh, uh, we found out later that uh, the mom had uh, become a believer in Christ and had been bringing her son to our uh, weekday preschool and had been praying uh, for her husband to know the Lord as she knew the Lord. And God used these circumstances to draw her husband to himself, and the husband and the son became very active in their faith and very active in our church body until the time that the Lord moved them elsewhere. God's answer will always be in our best interest. He is trustworthy. But if we're looking for the answer to be uh, in terms of our own concept of our own best interest, uh, it may seem like God isn't listening or he isn't good, and we can potentially lose faith because, again, we've got our focus in the wrong place, and an unnoticed lack of trust can, can rise up within us. So trust, again, even regardless in the midst of what the circumstances are, David tells us to trust. And that passage we just read, we go on into verses 8 through 10, and we see this, um, I call it a doxology of missiology, this, this crying out in praise to God, and it has to do with the nation's uh, why is this here? Why is this in the center of a psalm on suffering? Well, I think there's a couple of, couple of reasons why. Um, first of all, the God who answers, this God who listens, and this God who answers is above, above all gods. Trust is most beautifully built on the foundation of God's sovereignty. We sang of that in those songs a minute ago, uh, declaring our trust in the Lord, if we truly know and believe that God is sovereign and we can trust and we do trust now the the, the text here on god 's sovereignty comes out again of a very important moment in israel 's history. It goes back to exodus fifteen the, the parting of the Red Sea, and uh, the people have come through they 've been out of bondage in egypt they 've come through the Red Sea, and the waves have crashed in if you know the old Ten Commandments movie, you know, the, the, the waves come crashing in and the, and the chariots are, are, are tumbled in the sea and the Egyptians are destroyed and the people are free. And, uh, and out of that um, is, is this song of praise that erupts in the people. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them in your loving kindness, there's that hesed again, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. So the people's affirmation of God's sovereignty and his faithfulness. Uh, And this passage back in Psalm 86 answers that question, who is like you among the gods? There is none like you among the gods. So there's this this, uh, affirmation of God's absolute sovereignty. And then the idea that the God who answers is also passionate about all nations. Biblically, I think the greatest expression and truth about the sovereignty of God is his commitment to all peoples, every tribe and tongue and people and nation that we read in the New Testament. And it's, it's a theme of God's love and his heart that rings from Genesis to Revelation. It rings throughout the whole of Scripture in some form. Now, you might think maybe it's missing a little bit in the, Psalms we've, or the, the passages from Exodus that we've read where you know, Exodus 34, he makes that promise of his covenant love only to one people. And in Exodus 15, where the crushing of the Egyptians is is praised and extolled. But God was blessing that one people for a reason. Uh, He was blessing them with his presence and his promises so that they would bless all nations. And we see that when God uh, gives his call to Abraham, the father of that nation in Genesis 12. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. And he says this, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So there it is again, God's heart for all people expressed uh, in, in his love, his intention to bless these people so that all uh, would be blessed. It was, he was, he, he was uh, focused on that one so that the whole of the earth, so that all the nations of the earth uh, would, would know him. God demonstrates his sovereign intent to fulfill that, to fulfill that heart of his, that passion of his for all nations. He's making a statement of supreme, supreme sovereignty. And supreme sovereignty is to be trusted. Back to the theme of the psalm. So this passage, 8, verses 8 through 10, isn't just a parenthetical thought. It's that focal passage that I was telling you about at the beginning in the structure of the psalm. It's the very centerpiece. So when we conclude, we're going to look at that just a little bit more in terms of of how we apply that. But David continues. Let's look at verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart and will glorify your name forever. For your loving kindness, there's that word again, your loving kindness toward me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of of Sheol, the heart status of the one who trusts. What's the kind of heart soil in which trust is most vibrantly cultivated? Because we want to hopefully bring this concept of trust into our own lives, into our own present circumstances. And these are some of the things we read and we see in the heart of David the psalmist as he writes these words, as these words erupt from his soul. David was teachable. He was walking in the truth he was single-hearted. He had a fear of the Lord's name, fear of the Lord. He had gratitude, an attitude of thankfulness. And I think of the, the, the we're talking about difficulty and anxiety here from Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that, that classic verse, be anxious for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. God was cult- or David was cultivating a heart of thanksgiving even in the midst of difficulties and a priority on the glory of God. All those things we see uh, in verses 11 through 13. And he was wholehearted in all of those things. Verse 12, with all of my heart, I will do these things. Why? Because, again, of who God is. Not because of, of himself. Great in loving kindness. Deliverer, you will answer me. God's faithfulness cultivates trust. And trust... Engages us in appreciation and identification with, and receipt of His faithfulness. So when we're when 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 God is faithful to us, it cultivates a heart of trust in us. And, and when we uh, uh, trust, we reengage in God's faithfulness. And there's this this uh, reciprocal uh, multiplying cycle that we can enjoy even in the midst of great difficulty. And I can say that from my own story that I was sharing with you uh, at the beginning in, in, the, in the times of, of some of the darkest times, uh, just simply clinging to trust, simply reminding myself of God's faithfulness and His, and His attributes and His goodness uh, was a strengthening thing. It would, it would cultivate more trust, and His, and His faithfulness would, would, would build trust into me. And the focus of these, these disciplines, these things that were true in David's life, again, are on God. They're not, they're not on David himself. If, if we're stuck focused on ourselves and our circumstances, we're headed down. If we are focusing on God and his perfections, uh, we're headed uh, upward. Not necessarily out of the circumstances, but our, uh, our perspective on the circumstances is radically changed. Well, let's read on. We finally discover what, uh, what David's real problem is. Verse 14, O oh God, arrogant men have risen up against me. A band of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set you before them. But you, O oh Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. O oh, grant your, uh, your strength to your servant and save the son of your handmaid. Show me a sign for good. That those who hate me may see it and be ashamed, because you, O oh Lord, have helped and comforted me. David's particular troubles in this context were enemies. Arrogant, insolent, violent, ungodly uh, people who have apparently been at it for some time because of the state that we see uh, David's heart in in the psalm. But where does, where does David focus? His eyes are on the solver of his problems and not the problem's Themselves, You, O oh Lord. And he repeats the praise of Exodus 34. So in the, in the face of this trouble, here's, here's David. I call it formula for trusty living. I didn't really think of a, of a better word uh, than that. Just how to, how to live in a, in a trusty, trusting way. Uh, first of all, David praises. He shifts his focus, as we said again and again and again. He shifts his focus to the best of God and the best of God's attributes. And back to Johnny Erickson, who who had such a life of struggle. I just wanted to, what what, what about praise in difficult circumstances? She says, like supernatural effervescence, praise will sometimes bubble up from the joy of simply knowing Christ. But praise can also be supernatural determination, a decisive action. Praise like that is quiet resolve, fixed devotion, and strength of spirit. There's a strengthening of ourselves when we choose to praise even in the midst of Of difficult circumstances. So he praises and he prays. He prays honestly. He prays specifically. Turn to me, God. Come here. Be gracious to me. All that you are, God, be that to me now in these circumstances. uh, Grant strength. Please give me exactly what I need, exactly for this thing that I'm going through. Save me, the son of your handmaid. You know, that's a reference to uh, slavery. The king of Israel is or applying or applying to himself the position of a slave, the great humility before God that, that, that he approached this. Prayer in difficult circumstances. You know, in, uh, in uh, Jeannie and my experience in these last few years, we spent a lot of time in devotionals by a lady named Ruth Myers, who uh, the 31 Days of Praise, some of these things that are uh, kind of well-known, uh, and she has a tremendous, tremendous perspective on uh, devotion, and on uh, dedication to the Lord, even in difficult circumstances. And this is actually from a prayer from one of her devotions, and that was a great perspective on prayer in the midst of difficulties. I choose to thank you for the trials that you bring my way, because your love is tough. Thank you for holding on to me and not holding back. And thank you for continuing your tender care, even when you're putting me through refining fires. In the midst, make me more aware of you and your love than any visible any visible things in my life. You and your love. You, God, that relationship. God wants to do more in us, in the relationship with him, and in the, in the course of strengthening us. Again, the focus of prayer in difficult times, again, can be on what God desires to do through the circumstances. So, he praises, he prays, and he presumes. He presumes upon... Uh, uh, God, God's, God's intent to fulfill uh, and to answer his prayers. You've already helped me. You've already comforted me. He says, so, so he asks, out of that presumption, he asks, God, would you please add a thing to your answer that will show these guys who you are? And, and he said, may they be ashamed. You know, and I, I was thinking about that. that that's kind of a, a tough thing to think about. But, you know, we can pray, if there are indeed enemies involved in our circumstances, we can pray that God would lead them to himself that he would bring glory and people to himself as a result of the circumstances that we're going through. And I put that term plunder there with a the question mark. And one of, the, one of the, the concepts that ministered to us so greatly uh, in my family in these seasons of difficulty was the idea that from our difficulty, just like with the children of Israel, when they left their bondage in Egypt, the Egyptians were throwing their riches at them as they left. And those riches were used to bless the people and ultimately to bless God uh, in, in, in worship of him uh, there, was a, there was an unexpected blessing, an unexpected plunder that came out of their bondage, that came out of their difficulty. And God can do that in incredible and beautiful ways through the difficulty that we're going through, again, if our heart is focused in trust in the right ways. And is, is this human enemies only? No. We have an enemy of our souls. Much of the opposition we encounter is not satanic, not always. But when it is, when it is the enemy coming against us, we can pray for him to be put to shame and God uh, to bring himself glory in his glorious answer. So kind of wrapping all these ideas up, um, a little slow on the, there we go, Uh, back to that idea of God listens, what we started with. Based on what we've learned, does he listen? Yes. Yes. He is a listener, and He cares. He cares deeply, more faithfully, more devotedly than any other listener that we know, most attentively in the circumstances that we think are the worst circumstances. His allowing trial in our lives can uh, make it seem as if He isn't listening, but in fact, that trial can be a very important part of His faithful, steadfast love. So, I want to talk about this idea leaning into our trials, not trying to escape them, not trying to get away from them, but but being focused and trusting and joyful in the midst of our trials. And I came across this recently. I mentioned to you that in December, uh, my family and I lost very dear friends. And many of you know the family and you know the story of the Blum family, uh, servants on our behalf in Alaska. And uh, uh, to put a very, very difficult story uh, short family of six, uh, the father Scott and their two youngest children, Caitlin and Zach, uh, uh, perished in a plane crash uh, into the lake uh, around which their ministry centers. And Julie and the two oldest sons have uh, shown amazing strength and uh, have continued uh, in, in uh, carrying on the work there. Julie was interviewed recently when uh, Camps Crusade, or Crew, had their annual or biannual gathering in Colorado and uh, she's talking about leaning into our grief but certainly again it's applicable uh, to all forms of difficulty
1: can you tell us about the importance of us leaning in to our grief i would say i was not great at doing this before this this has been a pretty significant boot camp for me but i see how god has been chipping away um to get the diamonds out of the rough for now when i need to see their sparkle and um I think as a human being, if we don't know what to do with pain, the only sane thing to do is to avoid it, right? (laughs) Push it away, seek comfort. And I think that was kind of the mode I'd been in. And as I walked into this, I thought, well, in the deep places of pain, there's just darkness. There's maybe even God showing me my sin or other dark things. And I tell you what, in those deep places are treasure troves I was missing out on of who he is, of his word and how rich it is, of relationships in deeper places. And I have been in awe of how, um, how rich that is. And I think everybody's got pain. It's a common language. It doesn't matter if it's death, if it's disappointment, and everywhere in between. But we have to start taking our pain to Jesus. Mm-hmm. We have to start With the instead of that, shouldn't have bothered me. The I'm going to bring that into the light and present it to him and see it, then he can redeem and transform. The enemy wants it in the dark, it's exactly where he loves to have things, and so there it isolates and it steals and kills and destroys as he's so darn good at. Mm -hmm. But in those places of seeing it, I just have seen God bring beauty from ashes, even in small ways and in big ones. And isn't that the gospel? Isn't that ultimately the cross and the resurrection? And so from that place to connect with a lost world, even when we're still in our ashes, Mm -hmm. we still have hope. We don't know how the story turns out. I don't know how the story turns out. But I do know that he is big enough. And I am in awe that pain doesn't negate joy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I feel like pain is that oxygen in your scuba tank that gets you down to the depths. And it's also the oxygen that gets you to the heights where you couldn't go before because you couldn't breathe. Mm. And he does that, and I don't get it. But his kingdom's upside down. It's always been that way. (laughs) I just get to know it a little bit more, and I feel really honored. That is powerful.
0: What an amazing perspective to have been through such difficulty and to to choose those words. That's the way that God works through difficulty. That's what he can do in our hearts and our lives. Your difficulty. So I want to kind of wrap this up with some opportunities to hopefully apply what David has been saying to us uh, in our lives. And I thought, first of all, settle it. Do you trust him? Or, 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 or will you? Uh, do you confidently put your faith in him? And if you're struggling with that, pray like David did. Pray honestly. Pray expectantly. Pray from a heart that doesn't understand Be willing to be honest with God about your doubt, and in the midst of that, seek to pray and to praise in a way that affirms your trust in Him. And then right where you are, particularly if you're in a difficult place, uh, find a step of trust to take uh, in in your present need. For for me, uh, it was a, a little set of verses that I put on the notes in my phone when I would come across something that spoke... God, I'm going to trust you. You are trustworthy. You are so good. I would put those down in my notes. And at times of difficulty, I would just go and read and pray through those verses. Uh, Ten minutes in the morning, ten minutes in the evening to just pray prayers or read scriptures, meditate on scriptures of trust. But right where you are in your present need, uh, find that step of trust. And then based on that focal passage where God's glory to the nations is extolled, I believe God would desire for us not simply to put salve on our wounds and and go within, but to also take a step of trust that reaches out, that reaches. And I would say, again, because of that heart for the nations, reach out across a border. There's some great, phenomenal opportunities to do that. There's all kinds of publicity about the giveaway that's coming up with international students, it's an opportunity to come over to the Anderson campus on a Saturday morning and meet a person from another culture, pro- pro- probably a person who does not believe the way that you do, and engage and encounter with them uh, in their cultural perspective and, and share your life and share your love for Christ with them. Even if you're in a place where you think, I don't know how I could do that, there's no better time to reach out and to trust God, to exercise that trust muscle uh, than to reach across a border in a way uh, that that is even uncomfortable uh, to you. We're going to end, I want you to keep those things in mind, but we want to end really with, uh, I think there's just no better application, uh, uh, no better opportunity to affirm our trust than in the celebration of communion. Because all that we've been talking about is on the basis of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And communion for believers is a celebration of that. And in particular, I don't know what you normally meditate on when you receive communion, but in particular, wherever your circumstances are today, take this meditation moment before we take communion together uh, to to talk to God about your trust in him and to affirm your trust in him on the basis of what our Lord Jesus has done on our behalf. Let's serve the communion. Of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's worship. Let's stand together.